Well, hey, welcome to the Grace House podcast. I'm here today with Steve Castle, Pastor Steve, and we are going to be discussing the benefits of discipleship and how it improves your life as a man. So we're going to dig into some of the obstacles of discipleship and kind of like why why it's not engaged as much in, in church culture at large, and then offer some solutions and really just want to talk about the benefits of what it means to make disciples and how rewarding that lifestyle is. So, well, Steve, welcome out, man. It's good to have you. Uh, hey, Brian, it's a super honor to be with you. And obviously with this uh, unique audience of grace-minded, discipleship-minded, uh, masculine-minded people. Uh, this is this is kind of my crowd, as you will. <laughs> so I'm I'm honored to be with you. Yeah, we're going to talk about biblical masculinity and in, in regards to this concept of discipleship. You know, and Steve, how long have you been a leader in church church culture? Uh, so my wife and I uh, basically uh, became part of of a leadership structure about twenty, uh, almost twenty seven years ago in in churches. And I have uh, been a senior pastor of a church that I planted uh, for 10 years. And I also have an itinerant ministry uh, that's about three years old now. Um, so I've been uh, pretty much, my dad was a pastor. And so I was born in the church culture and I got born again and, and baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was five years old. So I'm 47. So basically 42 years, I've been in and around the kingdom of God. Uh, in some form or dynamic. And a lot of that has been in leadership. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, uh, yeah, people can find you at stevecastleministries.com, right? Yep. Yep. Stevecastleministries.com or stevecastle.com. Yep. Yeah. Steve's got some awesome stuff and uh, check out his website. And he also runs a ministry in uh, Freeport area called uh, Beloved Church. And I've spoke there and Steve's spoken at my church, The Grove, that many of you know about. And so, yeah, Steve, so you're 20, what'd you say, 20, how many years? Uh, about 27 years that my wife and I have been have been wow. deeply seated uh, purposefully as adults in the kingdom, doing things for ministry and for church. Yeah, and, and uh, so in my world, I would be about the same number, but I gave my life to Christ at about 17. I wasn't really raised in church. And when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't even know there were denominations. I didn't even understand I just thought all churches were like the one I gave my life to Christ at. And I was like, I learned quick, like, no, there's a lot of flavors out there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it didn't take long. (laughs) Yeah, no. So I kind of, uh, so anyway, you know, Steve and I actually bring to this podcast uh, 50, what would that be? 54 years of experience just from the two of us. I mean, we're old now, aren't we? <laughs> Speak for yourself, sir. <laughs> well, older, we're mature. We're more. Mature. Know, we're elder. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what we are: is we're weathered and we're tested. Amen. And, Amen. Amen. And that's uh, you know. So we want to get right into this concept. So Jesus in Matthew twenty-eight, you know, he, he says, "All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me," and then he's commissioning his disciples. And I always like to remember when we're reading Matthew 28, that Jesus had actually already been res- raised from the dead. You know, he's, he's in that post-resurrection uh, time frame, that 40 day time frame that he was on the earth, continuing to teach his disciples mainly about the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God was Jesus's main message. And, you know, it's something we can't take lightly. So when Jesus says, go into, go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to obey me, right? To baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe. Some passages just say, teach them to obey. 
everything that I have commanded. And then I'm with you always till the very end of the age. So we know that, G that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. This was very typical of rabbinic practice. You know, disciples would follow a rabbi to take on the yoke, uh, their, their teaching, their interpretations of the text. And they would want the best disciples that they could find right. to emulate them and to perpetuate their teachings um, after they were no longer around. So this, this ancient practice is something Jesus did as well as a rabbi. And he, you know, it's interesting. So he showed them how to do it for three years. Uh, in some of those cases in the three-year period, he's sending them out to do the things he told them to do. But Jesus, you know, in the, in the uh, Grace House culture, we call it, he built his band of brothers. You know, he was intentional. He looked for his band of brothers. He went looking for these guys. Right. He called them to follow him. You know, and that's a whole nother passion level of why they followed him so quickly and left family businesses and moms and dads weren't upset. They were actually honored that their sons would go follow Christ. But they were engaging this concept of discipleship, you know, and so I want to talk about discipleship and what is, you know, in your 27 years, my 27 years, what's your pulse, Steve, on the condition of the church when it in regards to making disciples? Yeah, there, uh, there's obviously uh, two forms of the Great Commission. There's the Matthew 28 and then the Mark 16. And so the Mark 16 is a personal Great Commission to all believers. Uh, the Matthew 28 was a Great Commission to the church as a whole, the ecclesia, the called out ones who gather together to make legislation for the world. That's what ecclesia means. And in both of them, note that one of the unifying factors was making disciples and specifically teaching all things. Uh, I spent um, about 20 some years uh, in the business world, uh, owning restaurants, and I ran 63 restaurants in Dallas, Fort Worth. And we used to have a, we used to have kind of like an internal motto in our in all different business uh, paradigms. And, and if you, any of you out there have been in leadership or business, you'll, you'll recognize that this is gonna be similar to something that you learned, which was kind of a four-step process, which is tell me and then show me and then watch me and then follow up. And, and there's a lot of deviations on that, but that's the, that's the kind of the core text, uh, the teaching model that we see in business. And honestly, I'll tell you that business tends to do these things better than the church. Yeah. Because we won't we won't do these authentic one-on-one -on -one things, which is, you know, we we're okay at telling, like we'll stand at the pulpit or or get on YouTube and we'll we'll do a good message, but then show me. You know, this, you know, Jesus said, go go and lay hands on the sick in, in Mark 16. And he wasn't telling them to do something he didn't do. And he wasn't telling them to do something that he didn't show them. And he wasn't telling them to do something that he didn't commission them to do while he was still alive, where he could follow up and make sure that they were doing it right. And this is this is discipleship. Jesus was the original discipler, and he did life with these guys. Um, and in fact, I was just uh, I was just studying this the other day because uh, we we are very purposeful at Beloved Church about uh, making disciples, and so I assign one person to one person in our church culture all the time. And uh, I meet with them regularly to make sure that they're tracking the right way to do the right things. And so in these one-on-one -on -one meetings, I lay out basically the groundwork. This is what you're going to expect from the one discipling and you, and this is what you should 
be expected of from the person that's discipling you. And I, so I did this twice this week, which was uh, pretty radical. So that means two additional people signed up to be in the lifelong process of discipling. And so I went uh, and I was studying in the scriptures just before that. And in Mark chapter three, and I'm going to read this in the passion. And, and I know some people struggle with that translation, but I think it says it really cool. Uh, Mark chapter three and verse 13, it says, afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to himself the men he wanted to be his close companions. So they went up the mountainside to join him. And there's a whole uh, revelation of going up a mountain to being a disciple. And it says he appointed the 12 whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends and so that he could send them out to preach and have authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. So, I mean, this is such a, a, a clear, just black and white, really grassroots, organic way of looking at what discipleship is. Climb this mountain with me. Be willing to go to war and go to fight with me. And I'm going to live every moment of every day intimately with you. We're going to we're going to share each other's experiences. We're going to share each other's lives. And at the end of it, uh, we're both going to benefit from it. I'm going to have somebody that's going to be able to carry on a legacy. And you're going to be the person that has been poured into that's going to have the accomplishments to do what the kingdom is all about. This is this is raw, real Christianity. And one of the reasons that guys don't engage, the reason that they kind of stay out, guys in general kind of stay out of this discipleship thing is, you know, I, I don't really want to be authentic with anyone. I really don't want to be transparent. What happens if, what happens if I expose myself and then somebody, you know, knocks me or somebody embarrasses me or I become shamed, you know, for men, a lot of what motivates almost everything in our life is honor. You know, if we if we lose honor or lose face in front of another guy, we're destroyed. If we gain honor or gain face, if we get promoted, if we get the big job or have the big business card or get the big title, well, then obviously we feel like we've succeeded. And so in discipleship, you actually go to someone and you admittedly, in a humble way, you say, I believe that there are things in you that are better than some of the things in me. So please help me walk that out and be a better person. It, it's humility. It's submission. And this does not come natural to men. Yeah. And I think in like church culture, um, you know, my experience. So I, my first 10 years of being around the church was really doing the work of evangelism. So I traveled around and did crazy amounts of outreaches and, raised all kinds of money to help pay for those outreaches and, you know, really rally the church to get involved in reaching their communities and would actually help the churches do these big events that actually would bring literally many hundreds of people, sometimes a little over a thousand to certain communities. And I watched this for the first five to 10 years of my, my, you know, Christianity where I was like, cause I'd go back to some of those towns and, and I didn't just blow in, blow up and blow out. I, before I do an outreach, I actually had a 12 month training that the pastors went through and it was preparing them for one thing to make disciples of the, of the people who gave their life to Christ. Right. You know, so as an evangelist, I thought that was a good thing. You know, I was like, Hey, let's motivate the church to make disciples. Well, I thought that was a good deal. I thought my training was going to work. You know what? It didn't work anywhere. <laughs> it didn't work anywhere because 
what the the churches that actually gravitated to my outreach style was when I really look back on it, they were they were not as healthy of a church anyway, and they needed someone to come in and do the big the big event. And uh, it was, you know, be a big win, big bragging rights for a few months, I guess. But, uh, you know, in my training, it was like I would I would teach that if because one time I remember we went to a town, I think it was Carrollton, Illinois, and we did this big outreach and the town population sign said like eleven hundred and we had like twelve hundred people show up. So, I mean, it was like awesome. Right. Like like is everybody from the town here? You know, (laughs) it's like or maybe your sign's wrong. Who knows? But it's one of those things where you know, I think like 700 people came forward, right, to give their life to Christ. So we've got these like cards they filled out, right? And uh, I told the pastors, I said, look, there's 700 cards here. And I said, there's probably 50, but there's at least 10 that mean it. Right, right. You know what I mean? I'm like, like half of them, you know, more than half of them are just emotionally responding. So I'm like, you guys, now you got to engage the plan I trained you in and do the follow-up events. But none of, you know, so I'd swing back around to these towns and I couldn't find anybody, you know, and that's where, um, and I wouldn't look, I had their cards. So I'd look up, look them up, call some of them. Like, where are you? Like, you know, you, you gave your life to Christ last year. Where, where you're not in a church. What, what the heck is your problem? And, and, you know, then they were like, well, if you would have stuck around town, you know, we'd come to something you're doing, you know, and, uh, you know, and I get it. They, they liked the style, the feel or whatever, but um, that really started motivating me because God was already, I was already resisting the call of God on my life to plant a church at that time. Cause I was like, who needs, the world doesn't need another church. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a church guy. I don't, I don't, I don't fit in with most pastors anyway. I don't understand why you'd want me to do a church. But then, you know, as I was aching in evangelism, the Lord was like, I want you to be the guy that can win souls and make disciples and train up a team to do the same thing. And so then that started winning me over. I was like, okay, I could do a church like that. Um, And so, but at large, when I look at church culture, Steve, why the heck are it, it, it's, it blows my mind. Right. So I got this statement that I say, and I'm not saying that this is a true statement. I'm just saying, this is my, my emotional uh, it's like a flippant remark that I make inside. Like, if you don't engage the Great Commission, maybe you don't make heaven, you know, like, because in my mind, I'm like, how can you say you love God and, and ignore the one thing he told us to do, right? <laughs> like, ignore that passionate partnering, because I look at the Great Commission as partnering with God from like a Genesis 1 kind of perspective, right, of subduing the earth. I look at it like a Revelation 5. It's like, you know, we're supposed to be ministers unto him, and then we're supposed to be reigning in the earth. And uh, the way we reign is by subduing and discipling, you know, nations. The Bible talks about discipling nations, not just people, you know. So um, I guess in my 27 years, I'm not trying to pick on the church because I love the church. I'm on the for the front lines of the church. But I hurt when it comes to this topic, because it's like, how can we overlook this this issue? You know, and I, and I think some of the problems of why we overlook it is. The church has been trained that like guys like you and me, we're professional pastors or professional clergy or whatever title they throw at us. And it's like, that's their job. You know, I support the church with with ties or tips or however people look at that, you know, as corrupt as that can be, you know, and and those guys will do the hard work because that's the way God set it up. And it just isn't, you know, and I don't think people have the knowledge they need. Yeah, uh, I I concur with your with your opinion about the the great commission. I, I say all the time that there's a great omission 
in most people's great commission, uh, which means that they're not actually doing it. Um, they don't they don't argue that it's important. They don't they don't argue that they know that they've been told to do that by the Lord, but they just don't. And some of it is from insecurities and fears. Um, there's there's something I say all the time from the pulpit is healed people heal people. Um, hurt people hurt people. Healthy people make healthy people. And so because of that, there's a lot of guys, especially in churches, that they're like, well, man, what do I have to offer? I, I'm struggling with stuff. I got I got issues. I got problems. My marriage ain't right. You know, my finances ain't right. I, you know, I'm not physically where I should be. And so what do I have to offer anybody? And right. so they look at themselves just from the outside and they forget that First Samuel 16, 7, the Lord says that he looks at the heart. Everybody out there has something to offer someone. And we just don't really have a revelation of our righteousness and our identity in Christ. Right. You know, when I make the, uh, when I meet with the people that I per I personally am making disciples, um, and when I meet with my the people that I'm discipling, I, I say, hey, you know that you're not my disciple. You're a disciple that I'm making. You're the Lord's disciple. I'm holding right. you accountable for the Word. I'm holding you accountable to the Lord. I'm holding you accountable for what he said. I'm just the one that's walking this middle road. And so right. I understand that every guy out there, you probably don't measure up to Christ, which is why Christ put himself on the inside of you. He didn't say make disciples unto yourself. He said, make disciples for me in my kingdom. This isn't Steve's kingdom. This is Jesus's kingdom. I'm making disciples for his kingdom. Now I can show them the word. And I can show them what the authentic life is supposed to look like. And I can, I, there's a few things in my life that I can show them are right. But for the most part, we're going to be pointing all this stuff to Jesus and to Christ. So you can be a broken guy out there and maybe not have a bunch of things figured out, but you can still point someone to Christ and show them how to walk the life that Christ gave us the example of. Yeah. And I think in my history too, um, hundred percent, like, so I don't want to lose that thought that you put out there, like the obstacles, like, cause when you think about making a disciple, you know, and I use some of the language I kind of crafted over, over the years is the lost art of mothering and fathering, you know, the church, you know, that's really discipleship is, uh, is it's, it's like, it's training. It's doing, it, it's really doing life together. And, you know, there is a, uh, intimidation factor when you start to think, well, I struggle with this or I struggle with that, or I, you know, I'm not where I should be to do that, you know, and what people may not realize about guys like you and me is we struggle with stuff every day. You know, we still struggle with our own flesh and we still wrestle with stuff. We're just like everybody else, you know, but maybe the difference is we just have uh, more of a tenacious uh, commitment to the call on our lives, you know, to, to really be responsive. And we really want the entire body of Christ, which is the Royal priesthood, to activate and come alive in these things. And because making disciples is so rewarding. I mean, it is one of the most rewarding things in my life to look back over the 27 years and go, man, I've had my, my hand in a lot of people's lives as far as my influence and the ability to shape their hearts. And like you're saying, they're not mine, but I'm calling them to the things, you know, I'm pulling the, the essence of the power of the resurrection out of them, like calling them to that lifestyle. Cause that's what Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I commanded. And that doesn't mean we go out and be like these religious rule enforcers, right. you know, but we're, but, but it's like the, the rules of Christ, the spirit of his law 
was always about, you know, loving God with everything, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so when we live, love God that way, we actually live lives that are very rewarding. Um, and, and, and when I look at like just, just church world, right? It's like, I ask the question, what is a disciple? And most of the church doesn't know how to answer that question. No, nope. You know, and, uh, you know, so I just put, you know, the simplicity of what a disciple is, is it's just one who has yielded their heart to Christ in humility, received his salvation, right? But, but they're actually walking after him. They're actually de dedicated to learn. And they're going to be, you know, the whole concept of discipleship is dis a disciplined life, you know, so you have to have spiritual right. disciplines engaged to actually learn the things of Christ, you know, so we need to define what is a disciple. Yeah, and that uh, <clears throat> that goes back to some of the things that I that I say all the time. Uh, the root word of disciple is discipline, which means, like, just like you said, uh, that means that your life is disciplined. And there's a lot of applications to that. It's not just spiritual discipline, like how much you read the Bible. There's a ton of applications to being disciplined. And But then there's this other really important aspect of that, which is willing to be disciplined. You know, that's something that you have to submit yourself to. Uh, you know, I work out a lot, right, two, three times a day. And I have never, ever, and you work out a lot too, Brian, I have never stood in front at the beginning of my workout and just said, man, I am so excited about the opportunity to sweat and grind and, and be in pain. And like, nobody's ever done that. But the reason that we're disciplined, the reason that we do that, we push through that stuff is because we know what the rewards are for the, dis the disciplining of our flesh in that area. And that, that's what people are missing is that discipline gives you things that undisciplined people don't have. Undisciplined people have divorces. Undisciplined people go bankrupt. Undisciplined people are sick and, and, and out of shape. Disciplined people have marriages that they're on purpose about. Disciplined people have, have families that they're developing on purpose. They're not just hoping that the TV raises their children but they're actually engaging in their children's lives. And so the, all of the most, a lot of people forget that there is incredible benefits to being a disciplined person. And that's why they, they eschew or maybe they shun that discipline styled life because they just like, well, man, it's just a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of energy. Yeah. But it bears much fruit. And that's what Jesus asked us to do in John chapter 15. He says that I, I wish, I pray that you would bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. So not only does the Lord want us to have more fruit than the average tree, but he also wants our fruit to be uh, so repetitive and so consistent that we never have to worry about in a time of our life that we're not going to have those things available to us. Right. Yeah, and I, I like I like uh, it's helping. I think you know it's to me. I've always struggled with how can you ignore the Great Commission, you know? And I think it's just like we've identified there's fear, insecurity. Um, I think there's obstacles of uh, people get into like the concept of their own self shame. Maybe they don't feel like they're uh, living the way they should live with God. But what I think, but the opposite on the other side of the fence, once you jump into the simplicity of discipleship 
And Grace Ops actually has built an online platform for men to equip them and empower them really with everything they need to make disciples. We've, we've built out all the content. We'll talk a little more about that as we close out, but it's having a simple strategy. And once you jump into it and you realize uh, it's actually really easy, um, it's, it's not much different than hanging out with your, 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 your bros, right? It's not much different than what I call like just doing knucklehead activity, right? Like going shoot guns or watching a football game or whatever, whatever you do with your buddies, you, you can actually take even those environments and turn them into right. discipleship focused, um, like a lifestyle, you know, a committed lifestyle of like making disciples and sharpening guys. And, you know, the shame factor is like, a lot like what you would, you'd said about the body of Christ, not understanding really the richness of who we are in Christ. And we don't have a confidence yet of who we are. And we believe the, the enemy, you know, it's like, um, cause shame is a big shame and guilt is like the enemy's, um, it's part of his best used tools in his toolbox. You know, he, and just to speak to that real quick, you know, anybody that even has a peripheral understanding of the four gospels in the new Testament, look at these guys' lives. Look at the guys that Jesus chose. (laughs) Like he literally didn't take the cream of the crop on purpose. He didn't take the smartest. He didn't take the wealthiest. He didn't take the brightest. He didn't take the holiest. All the rejects. The the (laughs) ist of anything. He took regular guys. He took Brian's and Steve's. He took regular dudes. He Family men, people that that were had good businesses and failing businesses, people that were okay in society and people that were hated in society. He took them all. And what happened was is that because they were willing to go, they were just willing to go into discipleship, he was able to recreate them in his own image. And so all it is is the willingness. That's what qualifies you for being a disciple and also making a disciple. It's just having a willing heart before the Lord. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of times, like for me, like the reverse engineering of it all is like, we're so intimidated of the idea of like making a disciple. What is, what is a disciple? We've talked about that. You know, well, how do you make one, you know, well, first you got to be one, right. You've got to be spiritually devoted, but when you just jump into the commitment of making disciples and just tell the Lord, right. say, father, I'm, I'm committed, teach right. me how to do this, you know? And like, um, you know, so it's like, once you jump into it and you start getting that strategy going, it's going to help you grow in your walk with God. It's going to help. You don't have to be at some expert level and then go make disciples um, because the concept of being um, in a, in a lifestyle, committed lifestyle, making disciples is that you've got a few people that you're pouring into and guess what? They're pouring into you. And guess what? The whole concept that you're committed to this lifestyle is accountability. So it's like, it's going to ramp you up a little bit because you can only make disciples as well as you know, Christ. You know, everything in the Christian life result revolves around our time with God. So, you know, if it's all about me spending time with God, spending time in the word and, and from that place is where my strength comes from. And then when I build relationship with people, probably the most um, the hardest thing about church culture is there's the counterfeit. Right. The enemy's always got the counterfeit and the counterfeit and the authentic can be like right there before you can be right, right in front of your face. And, you know. In discipleship, we're not trying to, we're not trying to fix each other. We're trying to, you know, let the Lord bring his healing to that person's heart, right? In certain capacities or areas. But like when I've got someone who's pouring their soul out to me, I'm very strategically in listening mode. I'm just going to listen to them. I'm going to listen to them ache 
and I'm going to let a lot of time pass. And if I say anything, it'll be only as the Lord leads me to, you know, but there's a temptation there, I think, in, in church culture to like jump in and fix somebody, yeah, right. throw a little Genesis this and a little Acts that and, you know, throw some scripture to it. And, you know, because we want to fix people. And um, and it's, you know, sometimes you, maybe you get to that conversation the next the next round. Right. You know, maybe you let them ache and you let them kind of pour their heart out. Um, I read this in a book a long time ago and it, ne I, it never left me. Um, but the guy was drawing a, uh, he was drawing an analogy out of the scripture that says we are fearfully and wonderfully made and our soul knows it very well. And he actually just made this powerful statement that's never left me. He said, when your mouth speaks, your pain and your ear hears it, he said, the soul knows where it ought to be. And he said, there's some kind of like, and I'm not trying to promote some kind of weird thing, but he said, there's a, there's a self-activating healing kind of thing that takes place. If that's done in the force field of love, if a person can do that, right. And not, not, you know, we're not quick to come in and like offer all these tips on how to be a better human being. We're just there listening. Yep. You know, and then, yeah. you know what I mean? And then, cause that's, and that, that's authenticity, you know, being authentic. St. Francis of Assisi, this is a quote that I, it's one of my favorite quotes, said that, uh, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Yeah. You know, just our, just our lives, just, just being with each other is a way of reflecting the gospel. Um, and, and the, the thing that you're talking about, you know, about being able to authentically talk to someone, Genesis chapter three, uh, which is right after the fall. Remember that the father went to pursue Adam and Eve and he's like, where are you? Yeah. And Adam was hiding in his shame. And uh, the father said, I called for you. Where were you? And Adam said, well, we hid from you because we were naked. We were ashamed in our nakedness. Right. And the father said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Yeah. <laughs> like, like he didn't, God didn't. And we've been doing this uh, forever in Christianity is we've been pointing out other people's nakedness and we forget the fact that that is actually bringing in a level of shame. What we are supposed to be is Genesis chapter two, which was when they were in authentic relationship with Adam and Eve were with each other and with God. It said, right, the very last verse of Genesis two says, and they were, they were the husband and his wife, they were naked and unashamed. And then just one chapter later, they were hiding in shame because they were told that they were naked. Well, we just, should be in discipleship. I should be able to be naked and unashamed with Brian yeah, and vice versa. And he should know that no matter what, I will never expose his nakedness to the world. Right. And that's the whole concept of grace covering over. Yep. And that's not to, that's also not a cheap grace that just ignores as if, uh, we can just continue to violate the heart of God in our sin, you know, but the very fact that you'd be telling me that is because you, you personally wouldn't want to be doing that. You know what I mean? So right. there's a self love, there's a level of repentance and all that, you know? And, and I, yeah, I think, uh, um, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, take a moment and bring in Colossians because, you know, I, I pulled out out of this, couple verses here of like helping to find the goals of discipleship because as we jump into this life it one it helps us to become better at spiritual disciplines you know it's like if you didn't know how to coach 
of football league, you'd learn a lot about football if you had to do it, right? Like you, if you had to jump into something you didn't know a lot about, well, that's kind of how it is for a lot of people with discipleship. Just get jump, jump into it, get committed to it. And then you're going to learn as you go. And that's really the, the, the model that Christ puts out there for us because he gave us the Holy spirit. And he never said to any of us, we had to be ex- experts before we could do anything because then we wouldn't do anything. <laughs> none, of, none of us are that good, you know? Right. You're Colossians, qualified. Yeah. And so Colossians chapter one, verse 28 and 29, it just reads like this says him. We proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this is for this. I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So there's this concept in here that, you know, it's Christ that we're proclaiming. There's an edge of warning. Um, there's that discipline stuff. And that's even in discipleship. You know, there's, there's going to be, you know, my life has been, my life is where it is today because of discipleship, because of spiritual fathers that I placed in my life. And, you know, it's building kind of like a, a, a wise counsel. You know, and in uh, and, and all the years I've had and being discipled and also discipling others um, leads us to uh, the, the benefits of all of it to me is just just amazing. Because how could I get to the place I'm at right now if I skipped all that stuff? Right. Like, you know, and if you get started in discipleship, you're going to see in one month, two months, three months, you're going to see the power of this. You're going to realize right. this isn't as hard as I thought it was. My shame doesn't disqualify me from it. My sin doesn't disqualify me from it. And actually in the process of making disciples, the goal is not to be perfect anyway. We're already perfect in Christ, right? right? The goal is actually to pursue the living God. You know, so as we make our mistakes and as we're catching up to the finished work of the cross, which is what discipleships help, helps me do. Right. You know, when I have a bad day and I call Steve, because um, Steve and I probably have more of like a long distance, uh, deep friendship, but, you know, we're, we're both on the front line. So it's hard for us to hang out every day. But if I had a bad day and it's like, bro, I just want to throw in the towel or man, I sinned in this area of my life. You know, you're going to be right there to just listen, you know, breathe life into me and, and help me keep going. And that's there's such a reward in this lifestyle of making disciples. And I think the enemy's done a really good job at convincing the church, you know, that it's a program, somebody else's responsibility. Right. You know, the 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 first pastor of the first New Testament church who wrote the first letters of the new Testament is James. And in the book of James chapter five, it says, pray one for another and confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. You know, and the word confess means to say the same thing as, which is an interesting word. It means to say the same thing as the reality. What's real. Yeah. Which means, you know, a lot of people don't they they, they want to cover up things and, and try to twist. Well, the reason I did something stupid is because my wife, you know, just like Adam in the garden, it was that woman, God, that you gave it. me. It wasn't my <laughs> fault. Right. Um, to say the same thing as and to know that you can do that with somebody. James tells us the first pastor of the first church in the New Testament with the first letter to the entire New Testament says, this is one of the ways for healing to happen in your life is to actually go to a brother, a a sister to a sister and confess your faults. doesn't say you have to be your fault. It says, confess your fault. 
right. and then healing comes into your life. And I love that passage because the concept of when I confess my sins or my faults to God, I get forgiven. But then God puts this element in, in the community that he creates right. of like horizontal confession. Right. If I confess my sins to you, then, then I get an element, I get the healing I need. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. yeah, you know, cause that's important to bring out because everybody's in this, we live in a culture of narcissistic, um, you know, me and my Bible, me and my Instagram right. Jesus moments, you know, everybody's spending more time making the Instagram picture look better than maybe their walk with God is <laughs> who knows, but totally I'm just, true. I'm just having fun with that. But you know, it's just, we have these, we have these, this, this idea that it's me and God, you know, and, and I don't need the church and I don't need the people of God. And so, okay. So just in that one regard. So if you are a confessional believer at that point, you know, which I, I struggle with anybody who can turn their back on God's community. Again, I don't know if you're a believer. I don't know if you're really truly uh, reading your Bible and understanding the, the scriptures. I think you're deceived by the enemy in a, right. in a way. And I'm not saying every church out there is doing it right. But I am saying this, that God has never quit the expression of the church and we are rooted into Israel. Right. So we want to keep everything root in, in, in all of its right framework. Um, I don't believe that the church replaces Israel, but God's doing something mysterious in the church, grafted and rooted into Israel so that we could actually see even modern day Israel come to Christ. Right. Like we could actually see uh, this love that we have with the father and this knowledge we have the father provoke some type of jealousy from them. Um but yeah, I, I just, if people could just get engaged in discipleship and like you're saying, this confession, um, you know, that's, that's where I would disagree with the Catholics. You know, I don't have to go into a confessional booth and uh, confess my sins to a father, right? Like that's, it, it's really, it's, I'm supposed to be able to do that with you, Steve, you know, or the guy that just left my office, right? I just had a two hour meeting with a guy that we just had a really rich conversation about life and scripture and politics and you know, we, we had a really good connection and that's discipleship, you know, how, how are you doing brother? How is your life? What's going on with you? And, you know, let's talk. And so I want to see as many people as we can, you know, that's the aim of grace ops is to train and equip men to get in the game of discipleship and to, uh, to really just realize it's not as hard as we thought it was, you know, and, and once we get into it, we're like, Oh, dude, I can do this. Anybody can do this. Cause you know, one of the greatest answers I have, so the hard questions I get asked is, I don't know. <laughs> yep. I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. You know, there's, you're smarter than me and you have more of a teaching style gift in ministry. And, you know, I'll be like, go ask Steve. I don't know. <laughs> go ask us. You know, I got a guy named Jake in our church. He's, he's phenomenally gifted. He's a lot like, you, you know, like very gifted and talented and teaching and understands the scriptures really well. I'll be like, go ask Jake. Jake will tell you what all that means. I don't know. <laughs> you know <so. laughs> but the Colossians verse, what I wanted to point out in here was that, you know, when Paul says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And, and to me, that's the goal of discipleship is that we're actually becoming more and more mature in our walk, in our knowledge of God, in our, you know, understanding of who we are in Christ and our, our partnership with him in the earth. That's it. It's, you know, a disciple is one who's humbly yielded to the teachings of Christ to live a disciplined life of training and learning and loving God and each other. And then the goal of all that is that we would be mature, that we'd be mature believers. 
it's really simple. Yep. Grow up, grow up into Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says that he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then it says in 10 that we are complete in him. And so yeah. we're growing, we're growing each other into the image of Christ. It's not into the image of each other. It's into the image of Christ. And so any, uh, like, you know, to reiterate, anyone out there can say, be like Christ, live like Christ, think like Christ. Here, here's the scriptures. Here's how that works. And like you said, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to everything, but Jesus does. And so my job is to direct you to Jesus. That's why I tell people all the time. You know what my parenting goal is in life? To get my children to the Father as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> because if it's the comparative of me being our father or God being their father, man, I, I want to get out as soon as possible. Let, yeah, let them get to the Father <laughs> And yeah. so I have the same goal in discipleship. The, the goal in my discipleship is to get you to Jesus as strong and connected as possible and then just walk with you in that journey. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, yeah, we've seen a lot in our 54 years of combined experience. And, you know, we're just making an appeal today. And, you know, we've actually built, I want to kind of appeal to the men on the podcast, we've built a um, a, a powerful challenge. We, we're actually challenging guys uh, to, to take our 30-day challenge on our website, which is graceops.com, and you can click sign up now, and you can get engaged in a simple 30-day kind of like it'll, it'll empower you and equip you with the right knowledge and passion to build out your band of brothers, and then we kind of move you right into a 12-month challenge of like, okay, you, you got your knowledge. You're going to build out your band of brothers. Now take a whole year and journey with those guys and watch how it will enrich your life. And you will actually step into a lifestyle of really knowing you're, you're not ignoring the great commission, which I, I would love it. If the, if the site, if the church at large, the body of Christ would actually engage disciple making, because it is how we transform nations. There is a very simple pattern that Christ left for us. Um, it's very simple. You know, he took 12, and you and I are sitting here today, Steve, talking about this because of Jesus is 12. Yep. You know, they went out and turned the world upside down. Yep. And if we can just keep replicating what Christ modeled, you know, I think it's interesting in Exodus 25, uh, verse 8, it says, you know, make me a sanctuary in the midst, you know, build me, it's the, the, the tent of meeting, you know, build me a sanctuary in the midst of the people, or build me a sanctuary, the tent of meeting. And he says, the next phrase is that I may dwell in the midst of the people. Right. It doesn't say that I can dwell in the midst of the tent, you know, because God always wants to dwell in the midst of his people. Right. But the next verse after that in Exodus says, build that according to the ways I told you to build it. You know, and that's one of the things I love about God. Everything he calls us to do, he's already done first. And he's calling us to make disciples. You know, whether he tells us how to love, he's already loved. Right. He tells us how to uh, uh, pray. He's already, I mean, anything that Christ is already is calling us to He's already showed it to us. So like even concepts of like zeal, right? Like I love zeal, but I don't come, I don't have to muster up my own zeal to get anything going for God. What I have to do is gaze upon his beauty, spend time with him and his zeal automatically fills me up. Yeah, so he already provides the zeal that I need to do the work of his kingdom. You know, the love, if I want to love you better, he's already provided all the love I need. I've just got to get connected to him and then I'll have all the love I need to love you. You know, none of the stuff I'm doing as a follower of Christ comes from me. I just have to partner with it and, and, and realize the power sources, right? You know, like when we recharge our phones, we're plugging them into a wall 
And it's much like a believer, you know, we're plugging into what God's already got built and what he's already got going. And so this simple thing of discipleship actually is a way to change the entire world. <laughs> you know, like, like it's that big of a strategy that God has already got right before us. And all we have to do is engage it. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, man, it's been good to have you here with us today. Yep. It's an honor being with you. And uh, and I believe that there'll be incredible blessings for any of you guys that are that are courageous and bold enough uh, to step out and engage in the infrastructure that Brian was just talking about. He's already built all this out. The wall, the wall is built. The outlet's in the wall. We're just asking you to plug in. Yeah, and right now in the early days of just getting launched, we already got our first 25 guys signed up for it. And we're aiming to get, you know, 1,000, 2,000 guys in the next year signed up for it. So, you know, uh, go to the website, learn about it more, send us an email, ask questions if you need to. But, hey, as we always say as we end, until next time, live upright.